My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. For although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This past Tuesday, we as Americans celebrated our 247th birthday. July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence that our nation's forefathers had approved of two days earlier was officially adopted stating that we were no longer subject to the King of England and giving birth to our nation. Often our modern minds see these significant seismic moments as the beginning and end of the story, when in fact, that was just the start of what would be a complex, deadly conflict between those who supported this bold and genuinely revolutionary idea and those who saw it as a threat to British imperialism. To be a nation that valued treasured, fought, and protected the rights and freedoms of individuals, and set up a government that was deliberately designed to be answerable to the people rather than the other way around, as it had been in basically every other example in history. That wasn't all accomplished on that July 4th. The external battles between the American patriots and Great Britain would continue for years, Even more, the internal ones where people were far from universally united, the notion of breaking away would be complicated and would recede and emerge for generations. Some might argue that those battles continue to this day, where people are demanding and advocating more government oversight and intervention, undermining the the core principles that our nation was founded on. But the fact that that debate can even happen is a sign of the independence that we cherish. It's part of our DNA as American citizens. This independent nature, though, makes these scripture readings more challenging than we might have thought at first glance. The first reading from Zechariah invokes all this royal imagery where the prophet gives voice to God's word to his people, promising, your king shall come to you, a just Savior is he, but this mighty Savior will be meek, and the warrior's bow shall be banished. He shall proclaim peace to the nations. There seems like a whole contrast of things going on between those two images of a majestic king who is very peaceful. The people initially receiving these messages were the remnants of the kingdom of God. The 12 tribes that had been part of the united kingdom of Israel had broken apart by now by all kinds of 
polarizing divisions and infighting. They had been pillaged, they had been conquered, they had been enslaved and subjected to all kinds of foreign forces and kingdoms. So this idea of being saved and restored was this long-held but seemingly elusive dream. And the idea that this could be accomplished peacefully was something that was even more foreign and unimaginable. It's interesting to think about, as novel and unique as our American experiment is in human history, that drive for independence is very human. But unchecked, it can be perilous. The polarizing division that we as Americans often see and experience in our day and age that animates so much of our politics and debates and even threatens our unity today, it's not so different from what our ancestors faced. And at the core and the root of so much of those tensions is dismissing God. The downfall of the kingdom of Israel wasn't a single bad decision by a royal figure that left the people vulnerable and conquered, nor was it the various divisions that broke out among people over various issues and debates. All those things and countless others contributed, but ultimately their destruction was that same temptation that first came to Adam and Eve, to believe the devil's lies, saying God isn't trustworthy, and to fall for his other lies and temptations, saying that once we remove God, then we can be truly free and independent. That played out in various times and ages and ways for God's people who kept finding new ways to rupture their covenant with God. With each dismissal of God, the people of Israel fell into further oppression from enemies, experienced greater tension with one another, and felt isolated and alone and filled with fear. Yet as tragic as that was for them, the story didn't end there. God never gave up on his people even though he was in his absolute right to do so. Because the whole point of a covenant is that if either side broke it, that side recognized it meant their destruction. It's remarkable that our Lord God, the creator of all things, lowers himself and condescends to us by entering into a covenant in the first place. Basically agreeing that if he ever failed up to hold up his end of the promise to be faithful, it should result in his destruction. That seldom even enters into our minds. Humanity takes it for granted that it's impossible. It's not in his nature for God to be anything but faithful. Yet humanity has a whole history and finds ways in every day and age to prove the exact opposite. Despite that, God never gave up on his people. As the prophet Zechariah proclaims, how God would find a way to rescue the people who had disobeyed and betrayed him. And that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, who comes as savior, who vanquishes his enemy, not through warfare. Jesus doesn't enter majestically on chariots and horses carrying that warrior's bow. So he remains peaceful. But the salvation and the restoration of the kingdom would come about far from that. It would come through Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. 
God never gives up on his people. Despite how often we find we've broken God's covenant through disobedience, through our sins, through rejection of the Ten Commandments, whether it's outright from those advocating for abortion or the death penalty, ignoring thou shalt not kill, or even in subtle little ways where we treat Sunday, our Sabbath, like any other day of the week, rather than a day being made for the worship of God and rest with family and loved ones. But God never gives up on his people. As Jesus beckons us in today's gospel lovingly to come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Some imagine that when Jesus is saying that, that Jesus is strengthening us to continue our struggles where we take a break from the rat race, from our overworking, from our competitive natures, where we strive for for wealth and popularity and we just make a pit stop at mass and then being supercharged to resume those pursuits. Treating, receiving Jesus' body and blood in the Eucharist as the supernatural equivalent to Popeye getting his spinach to strengthen him as his bludgeons, his enemies. But that's not it at all. When Jesus calls us to come to him, his desire is not for a visit, but forever. He's not asking us to accommodate him into our busy lives, but for us to have our lives shaped around following him. That's what he means when he says, take up his yoke. He's not offering to help us as we experience challenges as citizens of this country to navigate the world's brokenness, but he's calling us to live as members of his kingdom, recognizing we're on pilgrimage out of this world into eternity with him. He's inviting us to utilize our independence and choose to be dependent upon him. Recognizing that when we do that, it's then that we are truly free.